This podcast series is sponsored by Havwitz, the prevailing name in beautiful wood flooring design. Gracing the surfaces of hotels, workspaces, private residences and more, Havwitz offers stunning wood flooring and cladding options in all conceivable colours and designs. Visit our showrooms today or contact us for more detail at havwoods.com forward slash UK. Hello and welcome to the interior design business. My name is Jeff Hayward and with my co-host Susie Rumbold from Tasuto Interiors, today we're looking at design inspiration and where to find it. Most people walk through the world with their eyes closed, not seeing the beauty or noticing the details that surround them, but this is certainly not true of interior designers. Unlike ordinary folk, designers must continually innovate with every aspect and detail of their designs. But how can they ensure that their work never gets stale? Where should they go to look for fresh inspiration and how do they recognise it when they see it? One major source of inspiration for designers is travel. And today we're lucky enough to be joined by internationally recognised and globe-trotting design talent Catherine Pooley to find out where she gets her inspiration from and how this translates into her work. Welcome to the interior design business. So welcome Catherine. Thank you, so nice to be here. Can you please give us just a brief introduction to yourself and your business? Um, my name is Catherine Pooley. I've been uh, in business now, this is my 20th year coming up in October. We have a shop on Walton Street, which really focuses on home accessories, which we've collected from all over the world. We also do our own designs as well. And we also have a huge office, which is in Ixworth Place, just behind the Conrad shop, where we have 50 staff. We do commercial and residential boats, trains, automobiles, um, all over the world. We are really global and I'm, I'm quite proud to say that we're very global. And what is it that you find so inspirational about travel? You know, I have been traveling from a very young age. I have two amazing parents. Um, they are both very fast. They've traveled around the world. They're both pilots. And I think that's what's really taken them around the world. So from the age of three months, I was packed into my parents Cessna and, and off we went down to Portugal, Spain. In those days, you only sort of did the uh, the European routes. But I've lived in um, Hong Kong for 16 years. I've lived in Singapore three years, Vietnam a year, Australia a year, New York a year. Uh, you know, I've, I've lived, uh, sorry, France. I went to university in, in, in France three years. So I'm quite well-traveled. I'm quite adverse to it. Peripatetic. Well, that's Even. very sweet. <laughs> also, my, my parents, sorry, lived in um, Bahrain. My mother was there for 44 years. So I grew up there as a child. In fact, that's where I had my first job. And do you see yourself as an internationalist? Oh, I think without a doubt. I, I, I'm not. I, I don't like to be caged. You know, COVID was particularly hard for me. We were very lucky that the interior business, construction business, was allowed to keep going. It was the only industry that could. So absolutely. And so you've just rattled off a whole list of places, but what are your favourite places that you like to go? What are the places you, you go back to again and again? So, look, there's a part of life that people don't really recognise in me, which they think that everything that I do is glamorous and we all dress up and brands, but actually the real Catherine Pooley is quite down to earth, very basic. I much rather being in a tent than I do uh, in a nice hotel. I love camping. I've climbed a lot of mountains. I'd like to think that I'm quite grounded. So 
I like to go off the beaten track where not many people have been. I always like to do adventures. Um, one of my favourite places is Bhutan. Not many people have been to Bhutan in Asia. Uh, it's very down to earth, everyone wears the same outfit, they're the most polite people, there's no traffic lights, there's a nice policeman sort of doing this sign, um, they're so well mannered, it's just a gorgeous country, incredible trekking there, incredible hikes, that's about climbing to altitude, getting messy, not washing for a week, you know, all these, all these things that you don't expect an interior designer to do. For example, I've just come back from Dubai and it was across the UA seven states of the UAE and I did a hundred Ks in four days. It was pretty hard because it was incredibly hot. It was 10 degrees more than it normally is. So it was 40 degrees and it was across sand dunes. Wow. And I thought that it would be easy. I grew up in, in Bahrain, I, I'm fine with the heat. It was sand dunes. It was. You must have. You must have calves of iron. Or stupidity. <laughs> I, I, I lost all my toenails actually. Ooh. You know, and I, I had a, a lovely manicure just last week, and all my toes fell off this week, and it's amazing. And you know what it is? You have to wear sand gaiters to stop the sand coming in. But actually, what what really happened is it it gets clumpy and heavy and becomes like stones, and it was crushing all the toes. So it's things like that. Mm. I, I love. Um, I went across the Sahara on horseback. I rode across um, Ecuador. I love challenges. Wow, wow. And how do you approach places that you've never been to before? How much research do you do? A lot, go? a lot. Um, before this, this interview, I mentioned to you briefly that I had just come back from America. But actually, on this particular trip, you know, I wanted to do the best in each of the countries, whether it's line dancing or going to museums or I like to try and do my research, you know, quite thoroughly. So things like going to people's homes or, you know, we had Mark Cash, Johnny Cash's um, nephew, or we went to the recording studios and we recorded our own songs. I want to really live in those so, parts so of the world. So to sort of drill down into what the key experiences are that are to be had in each of those places. Critical. Look, we always think we're going to go back. Sometimes we run out of time to go back. So I want to make sure that I get the best out of those countries when I go there. It sounds like quite hard work. It sounds like each trip is a really tense experience. I'm going to Japan next April with my two boys. And I want to make sure that I see the cherry blossom. I want to make sure they see the sumaritas because that's what they love. They want to be, be doing ninja training. So it's making sure that you get to see everything. You know, travel these days is expensive. So make the most. Yeah. And I know you like to shop when you travel. What sort of things do you like to buy? So my first client at Catherine Pooley said she came to me because she felt that my house was a museum. And I think it's really important that whenever you travel to any destination, you've got to come back with one item. And that one item can be uh, a painting or it can be a sculpture or it can be, it's got to be something that represents that country and that you'll always remember it by. Because I quite like it when guests come in and go, oh, I love that. And I know they can't get it but they're intrigued to know about it. It's got to be a fascinating piece. But we're not talking about average souvenirs here, are we? No, and I think you've got to be very careful with the souvenirs that you bring back. For example, I went to Marrakesh, and you see all these items there and you think they're fabulous. You bring them back and you put them into your home environment and they just don't work. So you've got to, to really think about that. I mean, I bought back a container from Marrakesh and I've, I've, I just don't use it. You've regretted it. I did, actually, yeah. <laughs> so where do you look for things to buy? What, what are your... What are you looking for when you're sourcing products? 
Um, that's a good question. I always try to find local markets. I always try and source before I get there. Um, amazing antique shops. Um, so I, this is part of your research process. Yeah. So it's not just about the experiences, it's about what you can take away with you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Amazing. I love shopping. <laughs> No, I think it's really important. I mean, the world has got some incredible things nowadays. And I think my clients are mostly international. So I want to give them that international flavor. I'll never forget quite some time ago, I did a lovely house in the the coast of England. Mm -hmm. But actually I went all the way to Hamptons. I was visiting a client in New York. I only had four hours. I grabbed a helicopter, flew down, told them to wait, hired a car, well, as in a taxi car, and said, I want to go around all the different areas of the Hamptons. And I came back with a whole container full. And it looks amazing. It's so nice to think that, you know, you've done some research and travel and it's come from different places. And then apart from local markets, where else would you go? Where else would you look, be looking to source things from? Well, I think um, all the different uh, countries have some amazing shops. And I think it's just a matter of trying to get around and see what you can do. Look, it drives my husband mad because, you know, he's focusing on, I don't know, museums or something that's musical or educational for the kids. And he's, I've always got my eye, you know, looking at the shops as we're driving past. And when he's not looking, I always reverse and go back. <laughs> and do you ever work with anyone on the ground? Do you have people that help you source in these countries? Um, look, I have done that in the past. Um, there's a premium for that. I prefer to do it myself. I get more enjoyment doing it for myself. It's a lot more satisfaction doing it myself. But absolutely, there are in some locations I've had to rely on people to say, what do you think? Okay, so what's the craziest, biggest, <laughs> largest thing that you've ever bought from overseas? Quite interesting, actually. So I was recently in Colorado, and they have beautiful um, art galleries and sculptures there. And I'm trying, it's going to be very hard to describe it. It's absolutely colossal. It's the same height as this ceiling, so what, seven feet? Um, it's, it, it looks like wood and it's not. It's made of, out of paper mache, but imagine wood, okay? So you think it's really heavy. But when I showed my husband, I said, look, I'm bringing this back. He's like, are you crazy? The shipping price is gonna be far too expensive. And I said, well, lift it. He said, I'll never be able to lift it. I, I, it's, it's, it's wood carved, wood carved, wood carved, if that makes sense. And it's just a beautiful sculpture. It looks quite Aboriginal, but it's not. It's from um, the West Coast of America. But you put that in a beautiful entrance hall or in a living room, it's a, a talking point. And did you buy that for yourself or was that... No, that was for me. Was that for a client? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this, this does happen. Sorry to interrupt. This does happen. I go to buy things for clients and I come back. Always. <laughs> always the way. So are all your projects for private clients or do you do commercial development work as well? We do. We do development, we do commercial and we also do residential too. And you source for all these projects? Always, and it's my favourite part of the job, actually. So you've completed projects all over the world, Cape Town to Kuwait, and each one has a distinct sense of place. Why do you think that's so important to bring into your projects? Nowadays, I find that most of our clients have more than one house or one property, and there's normally in different locations. Everybody has different styles, everyone has different looks, everyone wants something different. I always try to encourage my clients do you know if you're going to get another property? Let's know about it now. So for example, if you've got a house in the Alps, do you want it to look very rustic, very Alpine? Or do you want it to look very bright and very modern? If you know you're then going to have a house in London, do you want that house to look more in keeping with the London style? It's, it's important to know the outset, the history of what's going to happen with this family. I also find that 
different countries, different cultures speak different designs. So if I was going to Thailand, for example, I've done properties in Thailand too, um, it would be nice to bring in some of the local environment into the home, but maybe they want to have something from Europe. We, we do tend to get most of our items made in Europe just because we find the quality a lot better, but it doesn't mean we can't use local materials, for example, to make it look authentic. Cultures nowadays are, are just so used in, in, in all aspects of all homes. It's really important to understand these cultures of our clients. If you're dealing with people in different places then they are perhaps using different styles or different modern versus, versus um, antique, for example, how do you go about actually grounding each project into its location if you're bringing things in from all over the place? Well, it doesn't mean if you're modern, you can't have antiques. And actually, no, no, I love, I love mixing. I love mixing because I think that's history. Um, I also think it's it's really lovely that I say to my clients, like I have done, what have you bought from around the world that you want to include into the design? I just think it's making it gel together. And that can be about a colour. So is there a process that you follow with your clients? Never you... follow a process. No? No, you just, you, you go with your heart. It's I think organic. It's got to be very organic, yeah. absolutely. Obviously, you're going to start with the process of, you know, the floor plans, spatial awareness, what the client wants, mm -hmm. what they want to include, colours like, don't like, um, old, new, you know, that that is a process. But putting it together, I, I think the hardest thing for an interior designer, but shows a true interior designer when a place is being done by interior designer, but doesn't look as though it's been designed and that it's authentic. Okay, so what are the biggest challenges you face when evoking that sense of place in your designs? Oh, there's never any challenges, only solutions. Well, I wonder, <laughs> do clients always get it? Look, there's a lot of clients that bless them struggle. You know, I'll give you a not being sexist here, but for example, they say that women can visualize much easier than men can. I don't know, there's something in our brains. But I've also have other clients, for example, who can't see the process or don't know what they want, or they'll, they'll look at me and say, Catherine, what do you think? You know, you know, we'll always ask for advice. And I'll always be very quick to say, you know, if you did this, this is what will happen. And if you don't do this, you'll regret it afterwards. You know, we're, we're very good at um, giving advice and and, and being very professional about it. But I'll always say, this is your home, this is your choice. What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. But I suppose it's just that managing their expectations and so that they understand the uh, consequences of the decisions that... Consequences, will, you're yeah. absolutely right. It's the consequences. Because don't yeah. forget, sorry, <clears throat> interior design now is really expensive, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. not how it used to be. And um, property prices are crazily expensive. I know they're meant to be coming down a little bit, but they're still, we're, we're spending millions now on homes whereas in the past we never used to do that. And do you sometimes find that you know what you want but you just can't find it? Oh no you're, you're talking to the wrong person there. I'll always find what I want. <laughs> you've met my lovely PA Angela, she used to work for the Telegraph as a researcher so she finds it um, but no we'll, we'll source it, if not we'll make it. You know there's a word called bespoke and people go oh shy away from it thinking it's super expensive. Bespoke doesn't mean it's more expensive. It just means it fits for you. It's designed for you. In fact, most of our things are bespoke. But I think, particularly in your own home, I, I know you, you you source from a lot of artists too. Do you do that for your clients as well? I do. Um, it's, it's a good one, that, because I think the last thing you want to do is to complete the project from the outside and the inside. 
but not to accessorize it because then that starts to look like a property development and mm. people want to look like a home. We have so much pleasure going around with our clients, going to art galleries or markets or antique shows or bespoke making them. Uh, I'm looking around my room here to see if I have one. Look, I, I have a, a Jack Russell, unfortunately he passed away. So but um, he had, I found him in Hong Kong, but he came from Australia moved to Singapore with me, has been to Scotland, came to America. I mean, he's, he's traveled around the world. So when he died, I found this incredible artist called Peter Beard, who took all the maps of all the countries that he's been to and put it together as though it was his body and created a piece of artwork. We took his original collar and put it within the art. Ooh. And um, I love, I pick up pennies wherever I go. And I created lots of pennies around the artwork. So it was very bespoke. Now we're doing that for clients all the time. I, I love that. I think it's very personal. Yeah. No, no, it, it definitely is. So just, just going back, touching on this idea of, of process again, when you're working with a client, you, you know that you've gone around the property and you've got key locations and key areas that you want to dress with some of these special things that you're going to find and bring into their lives. Is there a way that you record or you, you have a list or, as I said, is there a process? Or is it really just so spontaneous that you buy it now and worry about where you're going to put it later? No, well, yes and no. With me, that's how it works, I'm afraid. If it's me and it's personal, it's about the item. Uh, I can talk about some of the items in my house here in a minute, but I, I'll see something, I'll go, I'll take it, I'll find a spot for it. Because that's where I've said to you about the travel and finding items. With the client, now it has to be a bit more formulated because you know, it's expensive. We'll have floor plans, let's take artwork. Obviously we can see a wall, we, we'll measure the space, we'll then go and find the art that will fit for it. If a client says, I've got this amazing piece of artwork, can we squeeze it in? We'll go, Maybe we'll reduce the frame a little bit, or maybe we won't have a frame, we'll mm. put it on a canvas. So we do try to, to, to accommodate our clients wherever they can. But generally speaking, no, they just want brand new. That's what I'm saying. They have more than one property now, so they can accommodate that. Mm. So um, what are the three most loved pieces that you've collected? Mm. Um, so we're currently in my London property, and it's a, you'll see it's very neutral, neutral gender, and it's very black and cream and white um, but I have this amazing piece behind me which has been done by an incredible uh, Japanese lady her skill look they're not um, cheap pieces but you can see that the quality in the craftsmanship is absolutely outstanding I have three of her pieces they're all different leaves and flowers and vines I mean they're just the attention to the detail is incredible and it's not just on the outside it's on the inside wow. now these items aren't items that you'll hold that they're pieces that you really put on a table and you observe them, but they're absolutely breathtaking, beautiful. How did you find the artist who made those for they you? They found me. They found you. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, she sent me, and she's from a tiny village in Japan. I'm sorry, I'm trying to think where, but she, and it's an, it's not a big town. It's not like a Tokyo or Kyoto. It's it's a tiny little village, and she just sent me some of her work, and I I just fell in love with it. I'm gonna have three pieces, so that's one piece. That's one thing. Um, the second thing is these amazing mushrooms. Well, they're not just mushrooms. They can be, um, what else has she done? Frogs. She's done all sorts of, it's normally wildlife, but it's one piece of marble and it's all been carved. But it looks like they've polished it because it's so smooth and so organic and so perfect. I, I, I just love it. And is that something you share with clients as well? Has that I have, you? yeah. Normally clients say, oh, I love this. Where did you get it from? And I'm like, okay, fine. Um, I try to keep some things just for me because I think that's really special. 
Um, I also have something over there which is actually from Africa. I took my, my kids to Africa this April and my, my son bought them for me. Uh, and at the time I thought a bit like I mentioned about the Morocco thing where they wouldn't fit into the environment at home. But actually I think they look fabulous over there. But my, my son brought them for me with his first Go Henry credit card and he's only 13. So they're, they're really important really to special. me. It's very special. Yeah. Yeah. How important do you think it is for designers to lead interesting lives? Well, I don't think we should really focus just on interior designers. I think every single human being must lead interesting lives. You know, it's a very short life. And I think you need to try, I should encourage you to go and see the world as much as you can. We live a very insulated life here in England. And actually, we're tiny when you look out. The world's huge and it's beautiful and it's diverse and it's fascinating. And I love travel. And I think it educates us if we get a chance to travel the world. And obviously that's important for designers if we bring it back to designers, because you need to feel informed when you're working with clients and so, full of ideas. Well, and, and, and able to bring the, the beauty of the world into the process. It, it, can, it can work in many ways. One, you're informed, you understand cultures, you understand countries. Um, you may have, for example, today I was in a, a client with a, a, a beautiful Middle Eastern lady who was trying to explain to me a problem. And I said, I used to live in Bahrain. And she said, oh my gosh, you understand. You know, there's a sense of relief, oh, you understand. You know, our cultures nowadays, our world is getting smaller, but the cultures are very defined, they're very different. People live very different lives, don't they? And it's, I feel very blessed that I understand those. It, it makes me humbly more educated because I can appreciate what clients are trying to get that message across of what they, they need. Americans are, are very westernized, but they're very different to British, aren't they? They have huge houses, we have tiny houses. Their storage requirements are massive. We're trying to cram in something in a tiny little space in London. Mm, aren't we? Absolutely. If, if some designers, I mean, not everyone is lucky enough to be able mm, to travel as extensively I, I as, that, as, yeah. as you do. If designers are not able to travel, where else can they go to find the level of inspiration that, that you enjoy? I think, look, we're very lucky nowadays that we have the internet, aren't we? And, and they can always research it, watch videos. They can see movies. I, I think there are a lot of designers nowadays, and I'm going to be very careful what I say here, but I never forget, I did a presentation once and someone said to me, well, I, I asked the question, actually, how many of you have done projects overseas? And I think only two people put the hand up. And I, that was about 100 people. And I was quite surprised how few people in Britain have done projects overseas. So I did encourage them to go and try it out. Look, there's a lot more risks. You know, there's insurance and travel and, and sustainability. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot more involvement. But I think that diversity and travel and inspiration and education is, is just, it's important. How important is it for designers to develop a knowledge of historic and international styles? Look, nowadays, everybody has different styles. There's, there's thousands of different styles, and I think it's really important to get out there and learn the history of what people want in the different cultures. For example, this year alone, we're doing a very colonial style property. We're doing um, something incredibly classical with a lot of attention to detail. Um, a much older generation would probably want that. We're doing highly contemporary. We're doing very modern. We're doing a ski chalet. We're doing an airplane. We're doing a boat. Look, I can't just say when I started, I mean, it's 20 years of knowledge, but this has been learning on the job. You learn as you go along. 
But I, I, again, I encourage people, it's not about just going to KLC or Inchbold and picking these things up. They can't teach you that. It's experience. It's like any other job, you're going to learn these things. So how would you, if, if you don't just get it from college, then where, where, how should designers be developing those skills? Uh, they, need to, they need to join a firm to, to be able to get onto these jobs, to go and, and learn how to do it. I mean, every job you're going to make errors. That, that's life. But hopefully it gets less and less errors and you're going to learn from your mistakes. You talked about at the beginning of the conversation about looking up, not looking down. And funny enough, that is very much my motto. Mm. But when you're looking down, what, what are you seeing? It's not happening down here. It's happening up there. When you look at lampposts, some of the lampposts in, in England or London are just fabulous in the detail. Um, architecture on the roofs. And it's not just in England. You go to China, they're incredible. America, they're incredible. But one of the things I was doing, you know, my husband kept saying, stop looking out the window. And I'm like, but look at those gargles. Aren't they incredible? Or the cornice details. France, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Everywhere you go, you're going to see different things. Look up, not look down. How can designers avoid pastiche and uh, a lack of authenticity? I, I, my advice I would love to give everybody, who anybody who's listening, who's an interior designer, you know, we, we're very blessed. We have a lot of history. But when you go to other countries that that history is not there. I mean, I have seen many, many designers rip out original fireplaces or cornice details, even though they're late, you know, grade one listed or grade two listed. Please, please don't, because that's our history. That's our culture. And I, I, I told you I spent some time in Singapore and they were ripping down all the black and white houses to put up all these modern ones. And for me, that is just, oh, so it's a heart wrench really, because it's beautiful. You can't rebuild those. And I also think for sustainability, I hope you don't mind me touching on oh, this please. a little bit, but you know, nowadays, you know, developers are very quick to put in this joinery. Maybe it's not very expensive and it's quite cheap. So the new owner comes in and rips it out, but that is such a waste of money. It's literally just ripping out trees and, and, and cost of money. So I want people to, to really think about when they're designing, think about what you're putting in. Would it be for everybody? It, it can't just be, cheap it's not about being expensive either but let's be about sustainable mm. quality quality and sustainability quality. great answer and how do you think designers can train themselves to really see that we've touched on this already but just to drill into it a bit more how can designers train themselves to really see the details in the world around them you mentioned look up which i think is a fabulous tip but are there any other things that designers can do to, to try and embed those details in their brains Detail in design. Is it is, something you can teach or is it an innate no, skill? Can, no, I think it's an innate still, a skill, but I also do think it's something you could teach. And it might require quite a bit of hounding, but repeat, 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 repeat. It's a bit like when you're trying to teach your kids when they're younger, clean your teeth, clean your teeth. Clean. Eventually, by the time they're 22, they do start to clean their teeth. But it's the same with interior design. I think detail is on everything. It's in the drawings, it's in the spatial awareness, it's in the plannings, it's in, in anything you do. In terms of what I refer to as, as detail, I love detail. So trims on a curtain is a detail. You can put that same trim on a cushion. You can put piping on a cushion. You can put two fabrics, one at the back and one at the front. It's the layering, it's the detail that you're happy to go to. And I love it. Once I get going, you can't stop me. What is the most memorable and inspiring thing that ever happened to you while you were traveling? And where did that take you in your work? So it's got to be work-related. Doesn't necessarily have to be work-related, but maybe it was something that was really amazingly inspiring that happened to you while you travelled that then inspired a project. So I suppose, yes, work-related. 
So, so or, or in your one of your own homes. Yes. So uh, I just would like to quickly go back to. Yeah. I, I've always done a lot of um, <clears throat> climbing mountains, and I think that is the time where I don't have to do emails, and I don't forget phone calls, and that is when I do my best thinking. So during that time, I think I must have written my book. I, I have done two books, but I that's where I write my changes, my goals, my theories. I think that having that space away is is quite important. Funny enough, there's a TV program at the moment. I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure which channel it's on, but it's got Chris Hemsworth. Do you remember that gorgeous Chris Hemsworth? No. Uh, Come on. Yes, he's Chris Thor, Hemsworth. isn't he? Chris Hemsworth is Thor. He's gorgeous. Chris What's Hemsworth. he in at the moment? He's in this amazing film. I well, it's a series called Limitless, Ooh. and I really encourage you okay. to see it because it's all about things that we've just been talking about breathing um your brain um cognitive cognitive behavior we might have fear of um failure or um failure to um to do better or excitement and he teaches you how to deal with all these different steps it's quite an interesting project and I, it's funny the reason i mentioned it is because when i'm climbing these mountains and taking every step this is what I'm thinking about. How can I better myself? How can I improve myself? What can I do to challenge myself? Okay, and final, final question. What's next? Where are you travelling to next? And what are you hoping to get from that trip? Gosh, where am I travelling to next? Well, apart from, these are, these are non-client projects because yeah. I'm travelling all the time. Yeah, Middle sure. East, um, Australia, New Zealand. You know, I'm always going somewhere with clients. But uh, for me personally, um, my look, my boys are 13 and 11 and I've got five years and they're going to leave home. So I really want to make sure that the next five years are about we're putting names of countries in a hat and then they take the names out and we then do research and that's where we then go. So my eldest son won this year and we're going to Japan and uh, he's really done a lot of research on all things. He's very historical with the wars mm -hmm. and he's we we're going to places that I didn't even know existed, which is incredible. Um, my youngest son wants to go to Egypt and wants to see the pyramids, so that's next year. Uh, I want to go to, then it's my turn, so I want to go to Raja Ampat. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a little hidden secret far, far away, and it's really hard to get to. It's about three hours in a boat from Indonesia, from Denpasar, and it has the best marine life you've ever seen. Oh, wow. It is the only place left in the world, I think, that has incredible marine life wow i think that's inspiring. inspiring for us all yes thank absolutely you. thank you there's also one other country you've never heard of called pitcairn islands oh yes, yes. Yeah, we've all heard well hey, i'm australian and just oh, well, there you go. half kiwi oh well there you go <laughs> I know great no I, i've said that to so many people and nobody knows where it is yeah. but it's where my father wants to go to and i think it's still a british it's, so he gets a turn as well he, your dad, yeah, he gets yeah. to him, yeah. And that's off the bottom of the South Island, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really far, isn't it? It is far. I went to Invercargill once. That oh, felt really? like the end of the world. Pocatico was as far as I got. Mm. Anyway, thank you so much, Catherine. Oh, it was wonderful. So... I feel inspired to get the passport out. I don't know about yes, you, Susie. No, thank you. It's been an amazing and inspiring conversation. And thank, and you. thank you so much for your time. Well, you're very welcome. Just to say, I've travelled so much. I've now got two passports going at the same time. <laughs> just so that I don't... Yeah, I've got some pages left. <laughs>